So I want to read the first seven verses of Isaiah 6. So let us pray before we read. Father in heaven, Father, we thank you for your words. Thank you for this opportunity we have now to study your word together. Lord, we pray, would you open our hearts, would you work with your spirit in us to give us illumination in these words, that we may gain an even greater understanding of our Lord God, the triune God. Heavenly Father, we pray that the words of my mouth may, in the meditation of our hearts, may be pleasing to you. Amen. Let's read Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This afternoon, I want to bring you God's word through these seven verses of Isaiah 6. And for many of us, that will be a well-known passage. We often read these verses in the morning in preparation of confession of our sins. And in these seven verses, we have that great summary of the gospel. And as Isaiah has gone through this experience. It fueled him to speak the word of the Lord. So what I want to do this afternoon is briefly unpack some of the great truth that we see in these seven verses. Now there is much more in these verses that I won't be able to speak about. But I trust that we will grow in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ knowing or learning from the experience Isaiah had. So Isaiah is a prophet, and the name Isaiah, his name means Yahweh has saved, or salvation is of the Lord. And in his word, in his name, we get that message that Isaiah goes throughout this whole book. So in this book, Isaiah speaks of the salvation that is from the Lord. The Lord. Now, if that is not enough good reason for us to look further in this book of Isaiah, 
want to give you two other reasons why Isaiah is important for us today. Some people may say Isaiah is only the Old Testament. The Old Testament are not, is not relevant for us today. But if we look at the New Testament, Isaiah is at least quoted 66 times in the New Testament. Only the Psalms are quoted more in the New Testament. So again, a lot of the stuff in the New Testament found its basis in this book, in the prophet Isaiah. And then another reason, Jesus himself quotes from Isaiah. So hence it's important for us to study this book. And for now we're only going to look at a very small portion of Isaiah. Now, when Isaiah lived, it was a very tumultuous time. It is just before the people went into exile, before the Assyria, Assyrians came to capture Judah and Israel. So it's a tumultuous time. Several kings were going, were coming and going. Some kings uh, were reigning according to the Lord's. Other kings followed the Baals. So it is in this time that Isaiah comes with this message from God. That he will deliver them from their ultimate enemy. Not just from the Assyrians or from their enemy um, nearby, but from their ultimate enemy, Satan. And we see that later also in Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 53. Speaking about that Savior that will come. The one that was promised, the Messiah. If we look at the first section of Isaiah chapter 1 to 5, so just preceding Isaiah um, 6, we see that the prophet is rebuking the people of God. And he placed them under God's judgment. Frequently in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah prophet, uh, speaks about the, Lord of the, the day of the Lord that will come. So speaks about God's judgment when the people of Israel do not follow him but go after the Baals. But at the same time, there are promises of grace, miraculous grace, through the Savior that is to come. And that's both elements. So speaking about judgment, speaking about promises, we see that just in Isaiah 4 and Isaiah 5. In Isaiah 4, it speaks about the branch of the Lord, which will be glorified. That's more a remnant of the people of Israel. That will be glorified. And then in chapter 5. Speaks about the vineyard that has been destroyed. So God has done everything for his people. And still they follow the Baals. They do not follow him. And then the end of chapter 5. It comes with several woe statements. Several statements of judgment from the Lord. Because the people are not following God. Now Isaiah 6 then is a start of a new section. New section which you can summarize with God's grace will preserve a remnant of his people. So God will come with his grace and he will save a remnant of his people. So if we look more specific at these seven verses, often this is described as the call of Isaiah to be a prophet. So it's not a conversion, it's not a conversion of Isaiah, because we see earlier in the book of Isaiah that he has already been ministering. He was already a prophet while Uzziah was still alive. And this happened when Uzziah died. 
But this event in Isaiah's life, it deepens his understanding of God. Everything that he already knew about God, so much more became so solidified in his mind. And that then brought upon him then desire to go out and proclaim Christ. And we see that in the verses that following verse 7, verse 8, Isaiah says, send me. So Isaiah in these verses, in his vision, came to understand who God is, who Christ is, and the need to go out and proclaim Christ. And therefore, this applies to us as well. As we read these verses, not only these ones, but we read through God's words. We need to come to know Christ, know our Heavenly Father. And as we go and increase our understanding of who He is, what He has done for us through Jesus Christ, His Son, as we'll see later, it will then help us to go out in this world and proclaim Christ. We ourselves need to be well acquainted with the presence of sin in our own lives. Need to be aware that we are sinners before God. But at the same time, that there is forgiveness in Christ. And hence we go out in the world to speak about Christ. So what Isaiah has seen in his vision I want to speak about that, and I've hence given the, sermon, the title of the sermon, The Glory of the Lord. And we're going to look at three different headings. So first, the glory of the Lord witnessed by Isaiah in the first four verses. Then we're going to look at the glory of the Lord experienced in verses 5. And then finally, the glory of the Lord shared in verse 6 and 7. So first, let's look at the first four verses. So the glory of the Lord witnessed by Isaiah. The um, section starts with, in the year that King Uzziah died. I think it's quite significant that it's mentioned that specific time frame. So it's about 740 before Christ. But it's the year that King Uzziah died. Now King Uzziah was a good, God, a good king. He followed the Lord wholeheartedly. We read in 2 Chronicles 26 that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Under his time, the wealth of Judah became bigger and bigger. It was a prosperous time. King Uzziah had a great army. There was great wealth was industrial greatness, and his fame spread wide. So many ways he was blessed by the Lord. But then this greatness of him, being given to him by God, led then to his downfall. And we see that later in the same chapter, 2 Chronicles 26, verse 18. But when he, that is Uzziah, was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord. What he did was offering incense on the altar in the temple that only the priests could do. And hence the Lord struck him with leprosy. And then we now see that the king Uzziah died. 
And we see here the contrast about the earthly kings and the Lord himself, the king of kings. Earthly kings, even how great they may be, they do not reign forever. But the Lord shall reign forever. And we see that in Psalm 146. We read there, the Lord reign forever, or will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. So we see, although Isaiah may have been great king and may have been prosperous, his glory is fading. But the glory of the Lord, the Lord of hosts, our God, is eternal. So it's in this, I think that was um, the reason why Isaiah, or one of this vision is at that time. It made Isaiah see the Lord, the Lord of hosts, in comparing to earthly kings. So Isaiah, in his vision, we read, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. So Isaiah saw the Lord. It's good for us to ask that question. Who, Who did Isaiah see? Who is the Lord, as is mentioned in verse 1? Now for that, we need to read some other verses. So we need to study Scripture. So I want to read from you from Isaiah 52, verse 13. It's a bit further in Isaiah, Isaiah 52, verse 13. Read, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. So again, we see here the same words being used, the same phrase. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And it speaks about my servant. Then also, would like to read from you from John 12. So we go then to the New Testament. John 12 from verse 38. There we read, Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and I turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed many even of the authorities believed in him, but fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than from the glory that comes from God. Now these verses over here speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ, the servant that is to come, the promised Messiah. So here John refers to these verses, and the first part, verse 40, um, is quoted from Isaiah 6, verse 10. Now, we haven't read that right now, but it follows our scripture reading. So all these verses are being referred to as the Lord Jesus Christ. So from that, what we can see that Isaiah, what he saw in his vision, is he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So what we see here is that what Isaiah saw is the promised one. But also what we see is that this promised one, this Messiah, is God. He is Lord. So Jesus Christ 
is God. He is the one that is promised to the Messiah, but he is God as well. So, Isaiah saw the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah also saw the seraphim. So we see these are angels, and they are described as having six wings. And with this indicates that they have power. They are majestic creatures. Yet although they are these majestic creatures, when they come before the Lord, they cover their faces and their feet. So with their wings, they cover their faces and their feet. So they realize that God is holy. And when they come in front of, before the Lord God, they realize that they cannot see the Lord fully. They have to cover themselves. They have to restrain from seeing the Lord fully in his holiness. They could not gaze at God fully. And again, we take from this that some things are just hidden from us. The angels could not see anything, even as majestic beings. They could not see everything. And for us as well, something will be hidden from us. And again, that's very appropriate that we read from Ecclesiastes 7, where things are happening to us that we don't know. And we should realize that we do not want to be wiser than God and tell him that things are not right. We should be content with, with God, what God given to us and trust in him. And also, they cover their feet or even maybe their bodies. So not only their faces, that they don't fully see God, they also cover their feet or even their bodies. Again, from this, they try to remove themselves from the scene. So when they worship God, all the attention is on worshiping God rather than the focus on themselves. In a way, they want to block themselves out so that the focus is on God. So in worshipping God, we should remove in the same way all attentions from us, but we put all our attention to God. When we worship, we gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It is him that we worship. So these angels, although they are sinless, they felt unable to come very close to God. How privileged are we on the Lord's day that we are able to come together to worship him. He dwells within with his people. He comes in our midst. And we should realize how privileged we are. We call upon God as our father. Abba, father. The angels didn't do that. But we can call upon him as our father. And this all underlies the wonderful grace that God, from God, that he allows us, through faith in his son, to come so close to him. And I want you to reflect on these things. Reflect on what the angels have done, what we do every Sunday, as we gather together to worship this triune God. Now when the angels were there, when they even covering their faces and their feet, they were before the Lord, they cry out. The reaction from these seraphim is, holy, holy, holy. They cry out, holy, 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 three times. 
God is holy. It's one of his attributes, one of his most glorious attributes. And the fact that they cry out holy three times just indicate that the word is used here in its superlative manner. So the holy, holy, holy cannot be any holier. And we see that in scripture often when the words are repeated three times. That they do that to put great emphasis on that word. We see the Lord Jesus in the New Testament when he says, Truly, 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 I say unto you. Emphasizing that what he says is the truth. That is nothing other than the truth. And here we see the same, holy, holy, holy. God is the absolute moral purity. He is complete, separate from us, from creation. Yet, he loves to be with his people. And also we see that he is the Lord of hosts. He is the almighty God. The most powerful God. Now this song, the song of the angel, we see in the New Testament as well. In Revelation 4, verse 8. Again, similar where they cry out, holy, holy, holy. Now we see these angels, they cry out to each other with fervency, but also continuously, never ending. The angels, they use their voices to give glory to God. We have that same opportunity. We can sing our praises to God using our voices. And again, just would like to quote from Psalm 47, which is that great psalm where we can Sing praises to our God using our voices. Say, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. So we can make a joyful noise. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. And we have that privilege to do that every Sunday as we gather together. It's one of our ways to give glory to God. Again, if you look at the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one, which I'm pretty sure you all know by now, what is man's primary purpose in life? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And though there are many ways which we can glorify God, but we can use our voices, we can raise our voices together to glorify Him. And again, I want to challenge you in this way. So, how do you praise the Almighty God when we come together with heart, with full zeal? Or are you scared that some people may watch and see you sing? Do you sing your praises with a loud voice? I urge you, when we gather together on the Sunday, to use your voices to give glory to God as these angels have done. The angels sing his glory. And they sing. Holy, holy, holy. The Lord is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And that last sentence. The whole earth is full of his glory. To remind us. That the Lord dwells with his covenant people. And we see that the Lord's glory is with them. We see that several times in the Old Testament. Again, I'm just going to quote one section. There are several more. 
just want to read from Exodus 14. Where it speaks about the glory of the Lord filling the temple. So Exodus 40 verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting. Because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You see that also in one kings with the temple. And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord. So the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So when it speaks about here of the glory of the Lord, it speaks about the Lord dwelling with his covenant people. So we see here that God is near to us. And there's one reason why we sang together Psalm 139. God is near to us. The Lord Jesus Christ knows us. He dwells within our midst. Now that is not good news for the unbeliever. For the one who do not know, does not know Christ. They should shudder at that thought. Knowing that God is near to them. Yet they do not worship him. But for the believer, they are filled with comfort through these words, knowing that the Lord is near to us. The Lord is near to me. Again, speaking about this glory that filled the tabernacle, that filled the temple, or here that fills the earth, John applies that to the Lord Jesus Christ. Read from John 1 verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son of the father. Full of grace and truth. So again here. Isaiah sees the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord is near to us. So in this vision. Isaiah was confronted with the glory of God. Confronted with the Lord Jesus Christ. And again that is a terrifying vision. A terrifying encounter. And hence why we see. That the whole earth shook. And the foundations of the threshold shook. At the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. So again for Isaiah's must have been a terrifying experience. When the Lord reveals himself in all his glory. We see the same in the Old Testament, Exodus 19, when um, the people gather before the mountain and the Lord appeared to them. Again, they were scared and they said, we cannot speak to God. Moses had to go up to speak to God. So from these, there are two things that we can take from this, when the glory of the Lord was witnessed by Isaiah. First of all, that God is not to be trifled with. He is the almighty, the sovereign God. What about today? How many people in this day uses God's name in vain? Not realizing that they speak about the almighty, the triune God. But I ask you all the same question. When you speak about God, how do you view this God? Someone that is on the same level as you. Someone who you can ask everything and. You should do it for you. Or are you one 
realize that he is the holy, holy, holy God, the Lord of hosts. But at the same time, it gives us great encouragement for those who are in Christ and trust in him. We serve the almighty, sovereign God. He is exalted above all. All ultimate authority belongs to him. He is on our side if we believe in him. Now personally for me, there is nothing that can be more comforting than knowing, that, knowing this truth. This will then help us to go out and proclaim Christ. This was for Isaiah. After he saw this, he went out and said, Lord, send me. I pray that will be for us as well, as we encounter the glory of God, that we go out and proclaim his word. Again, we sung that, or we read that this morning, Psalm 118. The Lord is on my side as my helper. And if the Lord is on my side, I will not fear what can man do to me. So knowing this almighty God, knowing that he is sovereign, is a great comfort for those who are in Christ. We then move on to the second bit. So the glory of the Lord experience. And here we see Isaiah. He said, and I said, woe to me for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So that is the reaction from Isaiah. Woe is me. Would you expect that? Shouldn't it be a moment of praise and great joy for Isaiah? He's being a prophet. He's proclaiming Christ. He's speaking the word of God. He was the mouthpiece of God. Wouldn't it be for him a moment of great joy to see the Lord? Wouldn't this be a moment of great blessing to him? But no. Isaiah realized that he can't stand before this God. He can't stand because he is aware of his sins. He is a man of unclean lips. Isaiah was aware of his sin. Are we aware of our sins when we come together to worship him? So he realized that he was a man of unclean lips. Now if you read previously in Isaiah 5, there are several woe statements was given against those who do not follow Christ, who do not follow God, who follow the, the Baals. The woes are pronounced on the wicked. Surely Isaiah would have seen, well, that's not me. I am chosen by God to go out and proclaim him. Those woe sentences would not be for me. But Isaiah realized that he himself is a sinner. He himself is a man of unclean lips. Now, unclean, may not be permitted to be in God's presence. He was unclean. He had unclean lips. Now that could be something that Isaiah has said. Or maybe even that he didn't say. Or it could be in general that he is a sinner, realizing that he is a sinner. For us, we use our lips to praise God in our worship. But we should realize that even... In our worship, it is not pure. So we should come before this God knowing that we are deserving his wrath. And what is the reason for Isaiah's realization? It says, my eyes have seen the Lord. 
The holiness of God is so much. And the beauty that we have in Christ is that anyone that's seeing it would die if Christ didn't come. So Isaiah saw his own sin. He realized he was not fit to be in the presence of the Holy One. And again, what about you? Are you fit on your own to come before God? Or you, as Isaiah, are in need of a mediator to come before this Holy God? Again, here, this glory of the Lord is a powerful and comfortable truth for those who believe. But at the same time, terrifying for those who do not believe. Again, as we read this and as we read God's word, we should be struck with awe and fear. A godly fear of who God is. But that fear of the Lord, and some of you may have listened earlier uh, last week. The fear of the Lord is, as my grief said, is a heart of true holiness. And I think that is an excellent statement. Isaiah here came before the Lord and he feared the Lord. But that made him honor the Lord and serve him. So the fear of the Lord is the heart of true holiness. Isaiah has been broken up before the Lord. Realization that he is a sinner. He has seen his depravity. He may have been a prophet but to realize that he was still a sinner saved by grace. So Isaiah has been broken before he then went out and um, spoke the word of God. For us, we should be in the same. We should realize that we are sinners. That we are humble before him. We should know our own weakness and unworthiness. And as long as we realize that, we can then come to him. And serve him. That realization that our hope. Is not in ourselves. Because we are unworthy. But it's in the glory of God. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally. We come to verse 6 and 7. Where we see the glory of the Lord shared. And here we see. That. That was not the end for Isaiah. Him saying woe to me. For I am a man of unclean lips. But that is good news. It was good news for him. It's good news for us. There is atonement for our sin. There is restoration of that relationship that has been broken. Not through us, not through Isaiah, but through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Isaiah, the coal touched his lips. We see there. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. That grace is personally applied to to Isaiah. And we also, we need to personally accept the Lord Jesus Christ in our own lives. Now, Isaiah's sin has been forgiven through atonement, in this case, through the burning coal. And that burning coal speaks about the sacrifice on the altar. And we can read that in Leviticus 16. Those sacrifices on the altar that speaks of the forgiveness of sin. And here, that burning coal that touched Isaiah's lips speaks 
of that greater sacrifice that will come. The Lord Jesus Christ foreshadows his sacrifice on the cross. But also the burning coal touching Isaiah's lips. The pain that may have come from that. And everyone as I read it, we may say, well that is painful. We think about the pain on the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ. The pain that he suffered on the cross for our sins. So Isaiah had this picture of the burning coal and that his sin has been atoned for. For us, we have even something much more powerful. We know about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he came. And there is no better sacrifice than the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah then gets great comfort from the words in which it's been explained what is happening to him. The final verse of verse 7 of the final bits. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So God's word here of forgiveness. But we see that that forgiveness was only after Isaiah confessed his sin. Says woe to me. So for us there is forgiveness of our sins. But only if we indeed confess our sins and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah is being totally transformed through this experience. And then after he said, Lord, send me. Again, because he's been told for nothing hinders him from being accepted by God and being employed by God to send him as a, a messenger. For us, through Christ, we are being accepted by our God and Father. Nothing hinders us coming to him because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Someday we all shall meet God. Whether you believe it or not. And there are many in this world who do not believe that. Again, that's awesome to the believer because we will be seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. We will be able to stand before him because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's a terrifying and a day of full judgment for the unbeliever. Believer, again, I urge you, what will it be for you? Now God speaks to his word. We do not have a vision like Isaiah had. But God speaks to us through his word. So when we read his word, in that we need to have a sense of God. We need to see it as God's word. God speaking to us in a personal way. This vision had a tremendous effect on Isaiah. After he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ in the temple, he was never the same again. That should be the same of us. As we read through God's words, as we hear his word being preached to us, it should transform us. Or is it for you as water on a duck's back? Again, I urge you, in reading God's words, Realization, realizing it's God speaking to you, the Holy God, the Lord of hosts. And it's this fear that Isaiah had and the fear that we should have. It should help us and lead us to Christ, knowing that only through Christ we can stand before him. And therefore, I think in these words we see the great summary of the gospel. The Lord is holy, we are sinners. Accept that you are a sinner, but also accept that Christ has died for you on the cross. 
and in him there is forgiveness. Amen.